Good morning from the newsroom of the Financial Times. Today is Friday, January 31st, and this is your FT News Briefing. Amazon's one-day shipping delivered a bumper holiday sales season for the company. The World Health Organization declared an international emergency over the coronavirus. And with the UK set to leave the EU this evening, we'll take a look at what Boris Johnson has planned next. But first, Jeannie Rometty has stepped down as IBM's chief executive. The FT's Richard Waters has more on why Big Blue decided to go in a new direction. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. So on Thursday, Ginny Rometty, who has run IBM for eight years, announced she was stepping down in April. Technologist, uh, head of R&D, and also IBM's cloud business is taking over. It's a very significant transition at a time when IBM is really trying to reinvent itself for cloud computing. So Arvind Krishna is in as IBM's next chief executive, and Rometty is out. Was there pressure for her to step down? Rometty has really struggled over the last few years. IBM first tried to be a big public cloud computing company itself, like Amazon Web Services or Microsoft's Azure, and it underinvested and it was too late, and that was a failing strategy. IBM's revenues have just been shrinking for years. I think the significant thing here is that she really took a big gamble about a year and a half ago, paying out $34 billion for software company Red Hat in the hopes that this would be a new strategy for IBM. And the mastermind behind that deal is now IBM's CEO, and that's Mr. Krishna. So just looking at it, IBM's share price dropped 25% during Ms. Rometty's tenure at the company. Richard, what does that tell you about her time there? She really presided over a contraction in IBM's business and a fall in its value, even at a time when you know the stock market has been in an incredible bull market. And that really speaks volumes about her failure to find a new model for IBM in a completely different technology era. Amazon placed a big bet on faster prime delivery services during the holidays, and it looks like that bet paid off. The e-commerce group had said that deliveries to Amazon Prime subscribers more than quadrupled from the same time last year. The result had helped produce a 21% year-on-year increase in revenue to nearly $87.5 billion, ahead of Wall Street estimates. Amazon put a lot of weight behind its Prime delivery services last year, spending close to $1.5 billion to make it quicker. The investment went toward hiring more drivers and securing more warehouse space near its customers. The main goal was to get the delivery time down from two days to one day in 2,000 American cities. The company's cloud computing arm, Amazon Web Services, once again had a big hand in keeping up profit margins. It accounted for two-thirds of Amazon's operating income in the quarter. And Amazon said the current quarter looks good, too. It estimates a 16 to 22 percent rise in sales compared to last year, a range of 69 to 73 billion dollars. But it said performance could be affected by the coronavirus outbreak. Shares in Amazon jumped as much as 13 percent in after-hours trading. And the World Health Organization has confirmed what many public health experts had been waiting to hear. The coronavirus outbreak has become an international emergency. The announcement came as the number of coronavirus cases edged closer to the 8,100 who got sick during the SARS outbreak in 2003. Early this morning, Chinese officials said nearly 10,000 people had been infected. The agency did say that measures to deal with the emergency did not need to, quote, 
unnecessarily interfere with international travel and trade. But investors are taking notice as the impact of the virus spreads. Airlines have suspended routes in and out of China where the virus originated. Tech groups and car makers have closed factories. All of this has led to concerns that China's economic growth could suffer. Global equities were down for much of Thursday until Wall Street staged a late comeback to end in the green. And here's a story you should know more about. At 11 o'clock tonight in London, midnight in Brussels, Britain will leave the European Union. So how will the UK commemorate the close of its three-and-a-half-year journey to Brexit? The government has been very careful about not making this a big national celebration. That's the FT's George Parker. He said there had been talk of letting Big Ben ring at the official time of celebration. But that was quickly shut down. I think the message from the government is very much we're just getting on with our normal business. And I think that's partly because there's a feeling that, you know, it would, it would basically be rubbing dirt in the face of half the country that wanted to stay in the European Union. It's a moment of profound sadness for probably half the population who think Britain's future is in the European project. And a moment of vindication and joy for some people who have voted for Brexit back in 2016. But I think the overall sense is one of relief, which spans the divide of remain and leave. Relief that this traumatic period in Britain's history is at least coming to an end. The UK and the EU still need to come to an agreement on trade. And for Prime Minister Boris Johnson, he says his top goal is to level up the country's economy. As George writes, Mr. Johnson is trying to do this by undoing the work of one of Britain's most prominent historical figures. Well, Margaret Thatcher's governments in the 1980s were associated with very free market policies, which led to the transformation of the British economy and basically a sort of a supercharging of the services industry, particularly this financial services sector, which meant that the south of England, particularly the London area, did extremely well. But traditional industries, which have long been subsidised by the state, were exposed to competition and a lot of them closed down, coal mines, steelworks. And that meant that large parts of the country were decimated. Now, Boris Johnson is using Brexit as a sort of a moment, really, to reboot the British economy and to say, look, we've been getting this wrong. Free market liberalism has gone too far. And the priority for his government is to try and revive and bring up to speed those parts of the country that have been left behind. And it would be wrong to blame all this on Margaret Thatcher. I mean, the reforms she carried out were essential in transforming the British economy. It's just that parts of the UK have been disconnected from globalisation and the benefits globalisation has brought. And Boris Johnson wants to do something about addressing that. And George, he's really hoping to do that in places that traditionally vote for Labour but swung for Conservatives in December's general election. Well, Boris Johnson is determined to repay the votes that he received from parts of the country which had never previously voted Conservative. And that means basically a large investment in infrastructure, £100 billion over five years, changing the way that government rules work so that projects might have been deemed uneconomic in the past in the north will now be favoured over projects in the south. So I think we're going to see quite a lot of focus on the north. We're going to see civil servants moved out of London, out to the regions. And generally, Boris Johnson is promising a complete paradigm shift in the way the British state operates. And George, what hurdles does Mr Johnson face as he tries to accomplish this? Well, there are a number of hurdles. I mean, the first thing to say is that he sees Brexit as a catalytic moment in the British national life. He thinks the Brexit vote wasn't just a vote against Brussels, but a cry of despair from people who've been left behind. 
But the problem is that you know, the Treasury's forecast suggests that the UK overall will be poorer than it otherwise would have been had we stayed in the EU. Some of the industries that um, still flourish in the north are those which will be most affected by new non-tariff borders at the ports as a result of Brexit. So Brexit is a difficult place to start from. And of course, the other problem is that the government is short of money at the moment. They're borrowing a lot of money to spend on infrastructure. But even after 10 years of austerity, the public finances are still pretty tight. And if the economy doesn't grow quickly after Brexit, then Boris Johnson won't have the money he needs to really make a difference in places like the North and the Midlands of England. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Amy Keene and me, Mark Filipino. Our editor is Amelia Mahasik. We also had help from Gavin Kalman, Michael Bruning, and Aluakemi Aladesui. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit from a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.